and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you haven't checked it out yet, there are hundreds of videos and so much great content waiting for you. And the cool part? It's all updated weekly. Check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on Patrick Murphy, head softball coach at the University of Alabama. Murph is in his 25th year at Alabama and 23rd as the head coach. In his tenure, he is the winningest coach of all time in any sport at Bama. They have been to the NCAA tournament 22 straight years and all 15 Super Regional rounds that have been played. They have been a 12-time Women's College World Series participant. He is a six-time SEC champion and they have been the national attendance leader 14 years running, and they have had the most academic All-Americans of any softball program in the past 10 years. So on the show, we discuss all things program building, which includes leadership dinners, involving parents, creating a culture of affirmations and gratitude, and so much more. If you're like Murph and wanting to build champions on and off the field, this episode is for you. Here is Patrick Murphy. Murph, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. Definitely. And so long story short, I, I've got a cool story about actually meeting you. So we were at, I think, the first Slugfest, and you actually came up and introduced yourself to me. And it was like that... Truly and honestly, one of my first, like, I feel like a rock star moments because Patrick Murphy is coming up and saying he listens to my podcast, which is one of the coolest things. And I remember I'm sitting there with Connor Dawson and who's now like the hitting coordinator and just a super stud for the Mariners. And he was like, dude, Patrick Murphy came up and gave you a hat and said that he listens to your podcast. Is that not the coolest thing on earth? And I was like, yes. And so two years later, we are on the mic together, and I'm so excited to get to pick your brain and, and so excited to get to learn from you today. But I did want to throw that in without telling you just because I, it's such a cool story. But again, thanks for, for coming on the show. And and uh, do you remember that at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate what you do, not only for the sport of baseball, for, but also for softball, because I know a lot of my uh, peers listen to you as well. And you're one of the most genuine, uh, unassuming uh, there's no ego in you. Um, I, I mean, I would hire you in a heartbeat if I had a position. So I just can't tell you how much I appreciate what you do for both sports. Oh, I love it. And thank you. Thank you for that. And I, I, I promise this is not a promotion for the show for you to say that, but uh, I do appreciate it. It's very, very much appreciated. But um, and for the guests, I'm, I'm maybe blushing, but there's no video. So that's great. So but anyways, with uh, with 25, 25 years at Alabama and 23 yes. as, as the head coach. So you started as the assistant, you were there for two years and then you got hired to be the head coach. OK, and so if we could rewind all of that time. I, I think it would be really cool to to hear really the state of softball because it wasn't as as much of of just a, an electric sport that it is today. And we we were talking off the mic about you know women's college world series in Oklahoma City and it being one of the most watched events in the world whenever it's on, which is it's just amazing. But I'm I'm assuming that it didn't start like that. And so tell us a little bit about when you got to Alabama and then you got the head coaching job. What was your vision? 
what did it look like whenever you started and, and tell us some of your first steps? Well, when we started at Alabama, it was the spring of 1996 and there was still slow pitch in the high schools here. So, and we were the last coaching staff in the SEC that got hired. There was a athletic director uh, change at Alabama. So the timing of everything kind of was like six months later at, at our school. So the head coach didn't get hired until December. And then the two assistants didn't get hired until like February. So we already missed a recruiting opportunity and we had no stadium, no softballs, no uniforms, no bats. I mean, it was, it was starting from scratch. And one of the first things we did was had walk-on tryouts on campus because we, we knew we didn't want to give all our money away the first year, because then obviously four years later, we'd have to start all over. So I think we gave about four scholarship out that first year and then another four, and then another four. And then we were up to our 12th, but it, it was one of the hardest things ever because when we would go recruit, we would watch high school slow pitch and there were some really good athletes that could play defense and they could throw, they could run. But when we watched the hitting, we were like, okay, is this going to translate into hitting fast pitch? So that was very, very difficult. And then, uh, two years later, uh, the head coach left and I was in the right spot at the right time. And they, they gave me the job and um, we still didn't have a stadium on campus. And that didn't come till the fourth year of the program. And that's really the thing that got us going. And, you know, we, I can remember when the first tractor started to turn dirt at what now is Road Stadium. And we had a recruit come in and we took her over and we had to wear hard hats and it was her and her mom and dad and myself. And I said, this is going to be our stadium. And, you know, we told her where everything was going to be. And that young lady was Kelly Kretschmann, who went on to be a three-time Olympian, a gold medalist, a silver medalist. And she was a alternate in the 2000 Olympics, a four-time All-American and one of the best players we've ever had. And she literally committed to Alabama without a stadium, without a field. And, uh, you know, when she came to visit the, the first time, I was like, you know, she they, they asked where where we played. And I really didn't want to take her to the city park. So I kept saying, do you want to see the library? Do you want to see the academic center? Do you want to see the weight room? Because I didn't want to go to the, the city park where we played. And, you know, I learned right then and there it was about connection with people. She didn't care where we played. She she felt uh, loved. She felt appreciated. She felt wanted. She felt needed. And it was all about the relationships. And that was like the biggest recruiting class for us because it was in a, two, two first team All-Americans. We had a pitcher that was a stud. And that that class kind of got us going as a program. And then when we, we started playing in our stadium, that was the biggest move um, other than that that recruiting class. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I love, love hearing just, you know, we, we, when we talk about people getting head coaching jobs, we, you know, we go through the interview process and then we go through like practice plan, but we never really talk about that moment that really turns things around or really, you know, what, what, what do you do on the third day of, uh, of practice or the third day of, of getting the job? Because I think that those are just as critical as, Hey, day one, we, we want to set the tone. We want to make sure we have all of our ducks in a line. We went through the interview process. So we obviously killed that and got the job. But I, I love getting to hear that story because it just 
it really sets things up for, you know, the other 20, what, what was that? What year was that whenever you were in it? But, but you've got, you know, 20 more years on top of that, that you've gotten to build upon, you know, one of those critical moments, which I, I love getting to hear that. Yeah. And you know, that, I think my first big decision, and you've probably heard this before is, you know, who are you going to hire? And mm -hmm. that was, that was the first real big decision I had to make. And it was an easy one. And, uh, there, there was a former player of mine from Louisiana Lafayette and her name is Allison habits. And she actually played high school baseball at Notre Dame high school in Crowley, Louisiana. They didn't That's have awesome. fast pitch at her school and her and her brother, she had uh, seven siblings, four brothers, and she grew up playing baseball. So she played high school baseball and, um, you know, she played for us uh, at Louisiana Lafayette as a softball player, walked on to the school there. And then um, that's that's the first call I made. I, I called her and I said, hey, I want you to come be my assistant. And uh, this is year 23 now for her. And wow. that was okay. yes. So we've been together uh, all 23 years that I've been the head coach. And she's just an incredible person, coach, role model. Um, but that was the best thing I've, I've done. Wow. Bless her heart. Putting you, putting yes. up with you for 23 years. Oh my goodness. Yes. yes and four years as a player. So wow, uh, she's, she's, she's mother Teresa for sure. <laughs> she must be. No, I love that. So let's, uh, let's, man, this has been such a crazy year. So this question may be a little bit different versus most years, but I think that, that the coaches that are listening can definitely empathize with that because it's, we've had to get creative. And so let's let's uh flash or i guess you know rewind to you know august whenever players are starting to get back onto campus for september whenever that was for you guys what were some of the some of the most critical things that you did this fall and and then i would like to turn that around and say how is that different from most years but let's go ahead and let's let's start with the first one which is what were some really important things that you guys did this fall well we tried to you know you almost have to recreate um, the culture of your program because we've been gone so long. And um, I know we did all kinds of Zooms and stuff like that, but it's it's not like being in person. So we tried to get them together and um, we have a classroom in our stadium. Um, and unfortunately that was off limits because it was too close together. So we actually went in the hit of hitting facility and set up chairs, you know, six feet apart and just kind of told everybody the story of Alabama softball again, kind of went from the very, very beginning and, you know, this is a, a really cool year for us is this is year 25. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a silver anniversary of Alabama softball. And it's it means a lot to us because, you know, like you've said before, I've been here since the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And one of the coolest things is I know every player that's played here. I used to tell recruits that I was the Tom Landry of college softball, but now that Tom <laughs> Landry's gone, I can't say that anymore. So I really don't know who I can say. You know, if you have anybody out there that's been at one school for 25 years, wow. let me know. But um just to let them know that, you know, number one, we just couldn't wait to have them back. They were loved. Uh, we really, really missed them. Because uh, that, this is a, you know, this is the most anxious generation mm -hmm. in history. And then you throw on top of that anxiousness a pandemic. And it turns their lives upside down. So we wanted to make sure that we were going to try just to be as normal as possible and you know do do what we've done before um all seven of our seniors got to return for a super senior year uh, so there was they had the um you know 
they knew what it was like to be an Alabama softball player. So they really helped a new freshman. But it was we just wanted to make sure that we reviewed everything about our program and just kind of start from scratch. You know, so and we you know, we didn't get to play in the fall. We mm-hmm. we uh, inter squad and, you know, we usually get to play four double headers. We didn't get to do that. So we just tried to make it as normal as possible under the circumstances. Well, you mentioned that this is the most anxious generation that really in, in the history of, of our lifetimes, for sure, but in in a lot of measures in the history of the world, how do we combat that as coaches? I, You know, it's it's getting tougher and tougher, and it's, it's just a, a sad situation. Um, we try, you know, at Alabama, one of the things that we live by is it's person first, athlete second. So we tell the young lady and her parents that, it's not about the batting average. It's not about the ERA. It's about the person first, her um, leadership, her ability to be a great teammate, her character, all the things that really mean a lot to us. Okay. Because there's too many kids in high school, summer ball, baseball, softball, whatever sport that their entire self-esteem is all about their batting average, their ERA, uh, how many Twitter followers they have. Um, and we really have to, on a daily basis, you know, we can say, yes, person first, athlete second. And I actually have a sign up in our clubhouse where it's a big, bold person in caps. And then underneath there's a line. And then underneath that is the word athlete. And it's not caps and it's not bolded. And it's right. Uh, it's a hallway where it leads into our locker room. So every single day the kids see it. But you just can't put up a sign. You have to somehow every day, you know, make them see that it is the person first, that Murphy cares about us first as a person and second as an athlete. And during the pandemic, um, you know, I tried to write to every kid. Like I had a schedule at home where it was a handwritten note, text, email, I'd call them, but just to keep in contact. And, and this generation, they want, they want connection they don't like control, but if they want a connection with their teacher or their coach, because yes, they have a phone and electronically and um, they're connected with the world, but personally, it's not a very good situation. So we want to make sure that they feel that connection, not only with their their peers, their teammates, but the entire staff. So that's probably one of the, the most important things we do at the very beginning. So if we, again, rewound uh, to when you first got the job 23 years ago, would you say that you've always been like that or there was a shift in that that thought process? No, I've tried. Um, You know, the hardest part, you know, as being an assistant, everybody loves you. You know, now when you become the head coach, you write the lineup and it's like, uh oh, this is a different situation. This guy was my, you know, he was the assistant coach and he was the hitting guy and everybody loved him. But now. You know, he's he's the one that's saying who plays and who doesn't. So that was that was a, a hard thing. But I think from the very beginning, we tried to do that because, you know, it is about the relationships. You could you can have the shiny multimillion dollar facilities. But if there's not a relationship with the coaching staff, you know, that kid's not really going to be very happy. He's probably not going to stay at that program. And, you you know, as well as I do, you've seen it across the country that if you have a really, really good culture, within a program and good relationships, that's going to come back and help you every single year. And if not, you could win a championship one year 
And then two or three, two or three years down the road, that coach is out of a job because something happened. And now that program has to restart every single thing. And, you know, we could, I could tell you 10 programs right now on the top of my head that have done that. So it was about winning first and it was about the athlete first, not the person first. So I really think if you, and you know, I'm, it's easier for me to say that in year 25, but mm -hmm. I, if, if I was to start all over and, you know, go coach baseball, I would do it the same way. So it's, it's person first, athlete second. The kid knows that they're going to run through brick walls for you. No, that's great. And, and so I, I've got some, some stuff written down from a couple of different podcasts, which I've, I've heard you on, which have been wonderful, which, uh, cheats has done one or a couple with you really. And then I heard you on Brett McCabe's who I had on and, and we even, we even bragged on you a little bit on that one too, but there's a couple of things that I really, really like and, and took from you and. One of them was the leadership dinners. Can you, you know, share with our guests what, what you guys do for these leadership dinners with each class? So, you know, a lot of coaches will come up to me or email me and say, hey, you know, I love the connection versus control. So how do you connect with them? And one of the ways is we used to have a welcome back dinner when everybody would come back in the fall. And this was like 15 to 20 years ago. And they'd, they'd come over to my house and we'd eat dinner. Well, the freshmen would look like the seventh graders at the junior high dance. <laughs> sure. They were sitting in the corner, scared to death. You know, here Kelly Kretschmann's sitting in the room and they're scared to death to talk to her. So I learned quickly that we needed to do something different. So we decided we do class dinners and each class. And if your listeners want the itineraries to each of these and anything I talk about, I'd be glad to give anybody because I'm at a point now in my career that I want to give everything away and I want to share everything. So if anybody would like anything, just just let me know. But so the first uh, dinner is at my house and it's the senior class. And they come over and we have uh, an itinerary. Uh, we eat dinner and then their class dinner is basically all about leadership. And then the juniors go over to Allie's house and we have a dinner at her house. She cooks and she's a great Cajun cook and it's a really good dinner. And then in her uh, at her um, dinner, it's more of a role-playing situation and we actually use situations that have happened in our program for the last 25 years and we come up with fake names and then we pick a junior and they come up on the stage in her in her house and Steph and my other assistant coach uh, or uh, Allie and my assistant coach Stephanie the pitching coach they play uh, whatever the situation is and then the junior has to decide how she would handle this situation and she does it to the best of her ability. And when we get done with it, we talk about it and maybe say, maybe you can do this or whatever. The sophomores go to my pitching coach's house. She makes dinner. We have an itinerary for them. And then the freshmen come to my house. And I read one time where this was about an international situation. So an international student, when they go to a college during their freshman year, if they go to a dinner at someone's house in the city, that is associated with that university, it's like 90% 90, 90 more likely for them to come back their next year. So the retention wow. rate is great. So I want those freshmen because they're already probably homesick. You know, I want them to be able to come to my house. They all, they have to go in the same car, so the carpool, they find their way to my house. And I usually email their moms before they come out and I'll say, hey, your daughters are going to come over to my house and it's freshman dinner. 
um, could you send me what her favorite dinner is? What, what does she like? And the first mom to respond, that's usually what I try to make. So one of the freshmen are coming in and maybe it's lasagna is their favorite. And she's going to be like, wow, that's, that's my favorite dinner. And none of them have figured out that that's what we do. So one is really, really happy. And then they see my house. They know where I live. Um, the coaches are there. It's a different, you know, it's a different dynamic. It's not in an office. It's not at the field. It's at my house. And so at that day, it's kind of a, let's get to know the freshmen. We play some, some games and just talk about, you know, what it's like to be an Alabama softball player. And, you know, we say anytime you need anything, you know, we kind of give that speech. So they know where I live. And then like a month later, we have the whole team together. And by that time, everybody knows everybody. Uh, the freshmen aren't afraid of anybody. Uh, you know, it's it's a much more enjoyable um, outing a month into the semester. Well, that's awesome. And I, for some reason, maybe I don't know if, if this was something that, that Alabama did, but I think Nick Saban does something similar. I, I, I saw it on the, the thing that they did with, with he and Belichick, and he mentioned having all of everybody to his house. Is that maybe it's yes. something that he stole from you? I don't, I don't know. Do you, are you familiar with him doing that too? Yeah, they, I think they go in the summer and they go out on his, on his boat in the lake. They have sea dews. And um, remember the time when they ran out of gas in the boat? Or something, <laughs> happened, something happened to his boat. And that True. was when the team was over. So, of course, that, that made. Uh, Twitter news. So, um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's just a, we have a Thanksgiving dinner. We have a Christmas dinner, but we try to do something once a month with everybody on the team. And it's just about that connection again. Oh, that's wonderful. You must have been able to uh, learn how to cook lots of different specific dishes over the last couple of years. uh, Yeah, I've gotten better. (laughs) Has there been one that's been like a a yearly thing? Like you, you mentioned lasagna. Is that something that, that you've had to cook several different times? Yeah, lasagna, spaghetti are probably the top two. Of course, of course. I'm sure you you could nail those pretty good. Yes. I love it. So with that, again, I'm I'm spitballing a little bit here, uh, but there's a couple of things that that I've that I've really taken from you and and I've and I've loved. And one of the things uh, again, we're getting off script here and this is just out of left field, but I've got a a note in my Evernote files that just says Patrick Patrick Murphy stuff. And one of the things that I stole from you was you mentioned with players that one of the things that you mentioned quite a bit is you don't hold grudges. And you said, this is what I've got. So maybe it's, it's maybe not word for word, but you said, don't play favorites or head games, love everyone. But the next day it come, you come back tomorrow, like nothing happened. And I, and I vaguely remember you remember you telling a story of a player of yours that told another player that like just to pretend like nothing happened is can you it, one yeah. am i right in that and then two can you can you tell us that story if, if i remember that correctly yeah it was a practice and you know i was pitching batting practice and we were trying to get everybody to play the ball out well on defense and hard and go after everything and i just so happened to turn around when somebody hit a ball and the outfielder loafed and I just was very upset about it because we had just talked about, you know, going after every ball, playing every ball out. And and I turned around and I just said, "Uh, you're out, you know, and she kind of looked at me and I said, that means you're out of practice. Go. And so 
as she left, she went through the bullpen and the pitcher, uh, I think was a senior. And she kind of said to the outfielder what happened. And she said, I think I just got kicked out of practice. And the pitcher looked at her right in the eyes and she said, and she said, what do I do? And the pitcher said, just come back tomorrow. Like nothing happened because that's the way he's going to do it. So the kid came back the next day and, um, you know, it's just like, yeah, as you screwed up once, I'm not going to hold a grudge. Uh, I don't play favorites. We don't have head games. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've been consistent. And the girls know that, that it's not like you're not going to be in the doghouse for three weeks. That's not how we operate. Everybody's going to screw up. And then that young lady, the first thing she did at practice the next day, she said, I'm sorry, I apologize. It never happened again. And that's how you handle it. You, you're, it's a grown up situation. You act like an adult and we get over it. We don't constantly harp on it. And I think the players appreciate that. For sure. And, and that was just one of those moments that I was like, wow, that's that's when you know, that's when you start to know that, that your culture is in a, in a place that is really good because one, you're consistent with that. And I think that that's, that is a very underrated trait that a lot of coaches, I just think that it's not talked about enough of just when players know and have really just clarity on how you're going to act, then they're not taken aback by different things. And then they can then respond in a way that is most conducive to how how you want to run things, which I think is is an amazing amazing thing. And I just I just can't. I heard that story and I was like, wow, that's that's a really cool thing. And and so how did that how did that story get back around to you? <laughs> um, I think the pitcher told me. You know, um, she was a great kid too, and uh, I think she relayed it back to me. But it also it also that's goes awesome. back to. Um, you know, the anxiousness of this generation mm -hmm. they want somebody who's consistent. They don't want a roller coaster as a leader. You know, if you're up and down all the time, that's, that's exactly the opposite of what this generation needs from their head coach. They, they want consistency. So whatever you're going to bring, you need to bring it every single day because that's what they're looking for. And, you know, I tell coaches all the time when I speak at coaches clinics, there's a kid or several that are looking at you as the number one male role model, or if you're a female coach, a female role model, the number one in their life, because something bad probably happened at happened or happened at home. And they're looking at you as the number one role model in their life as an adult male. So you better, you know, whatever they're, whatever you're doing, it should be a good thing. So this young person knows that, you know, this is how, this is the way it's supposed to go. Okay. You know, coach Murphy, I'm looking at him. Um, and I think it happens to a lot of coaches, high school coaches, especially, um, you know, they're, they're the number one role model in a lot of kids. And I think there's some really, really good ones out there. Well, that's fantastic. I love it. Another thing that, that you wanted to talk about today, which I think is, is parents. And I think, <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I laugh because there's, there's so many different opinions that people have about parents. And then I had just this, this, I don't want to say disdain for parents, but I, I wanted nothing to do with parents when I first started coaching. And then I started to get to know them and, and then I became a parent and that was when it was like, oh man, I, 
really need to rethink this thing uh, because I'm like, I, I want to be involved. I want to be involved with my son's life. And and if we have this mutual connection, which is sport or, or baseball or you know, whatever he decides to do, I, I you know, I don't want to be the, the in your face dad, but I want to know what's going on. I want to be involved. I want to help him in any way possible. And so I would, this was something that even you brought to the table, which I think is a really, really neat idea. And coming from a division one softball coach and someone who's been doing it for so long, I thought it was really interesting that you wanted to talk about it. And so I, I would love to just open up the mic and just, how do we involve parents and how do we, how, what have you learned over your tenure that you've been like, you know what? I've done some things that, that didn't work. I've done some things that did work. And this is kind of how we've, we've chosen to do things around here. Well, like you said before, you know, they do want to be involved and they are going to be involved. So a really good way that we have um, kept them involved, uh, we usually, we call it gratitude week. And it's usually, we start the Sunday night of Thanksgiving. So, you know, Thanksgiving is a great week. So we call it gratitude week and we have an activity usually every day that week before we go home for Thanksgiving break. But on the Sunday night, we have like a kind of a smaller Thanksgiving dinner, but some of the local uh, parents will come and like do the food. That's a small way to get them involved. Sometimes when we have a tailgate for our recruiting, they're, they are in charge of the whole thing, decorations. We have it at the field. Um, you know, we make it kind of like a family weekend. That's a lot of fun. But another really cool one is it's called phone calls from home. And what I do is I call the parents and this could be at any time during the year. Like this year, it was um, the last night we had kind of a dinner at our hitting facility and they were going home on November 20th. So it was a long break. It's like the longest break we've ever had, like seven weeks. And I really wanted the seniors to go home on a good note. I wanted their buckets to be filled. I wanted to look forward to coming back. This is the last year most of them were going to play softball. Uh, we just wanted them to feel really good about coming back for their last semester. So I call all the parents and I say, you know, Jonathan, we have loved having your daughter in our program. She has been awesome. You have been awesome. We really appreciate what you've done. But this, I got one more big favor from, for you. And of course, every parent says, sure, coach, what do you, what do you need? So this is what I want. We're going to have dinner at the stadium and about seven o'clock, um, you're going to call my cell phone. And what I want you to do, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on speaker and the entire team is going to be around my phone. All the coaches are going to be there. The managers are going to be there. The trainer is going to be there. And then I'm going to put you on speaker. And what I want you to do is I want you to tell your daughter how much you have loved watching her play since mm. she was five years old. That's so good. And just fill her bucket to the top. And, you know, some are like, now, now tell me again, you know, because <laughs> this is the first time, you know, and I have to remind them that everybody's going to be there and it will be on speaker. So everybody will hear what you're saying to your daughter. And then I email them all. And I'll say at seven o'clock, the Gellners at 703, the Murphys at 706. And I give them a three minute time slot. 
And then, you know, I call him again the day of the, the phone call and I'll say, hey, 703, I got you down. You good to go? And then at seven o'clock when the phone rings and that's a no, no in our program to have your cell phone on and a team gathering. So everybody kind of looks around like, uh oh, <laughs> who's in trouble? Sure. And then when it gets on speaker and the first person says that it's a parent. And then, of course, you know what everybody else does? Then they all look at the kid, their teammate, mm -hmm. like, why is your like, dad oh. calling? Yes. <laughs> and and then I say. And this year it was Alyssa Brown's mom. And I said, Tara, you're good to go. And then for three minutes, everybody hears what Tara Brown has to say about Alyssa. And I'm telling you, Jonathan, it's one of the best nights of the entire year. And this year we, we were kind of in a half circle. So when the phone rang and Alyssa heard her mom, I motioned for Alyssa to come up. And then we had a, a big office chair in the middle of the semicircle. So Alyssa had to sit in the circle or the, the chair and all her teammates uh, got to hear everything her parents said. So, and, you know, after the night is over, of course, the kid is awesome. The kid feels great. Mm -hmm. the, the parents feel great. But kind of the odd thing is all her teammates feel great because all these young ladies get to hear what these mom and dads, you know, have to say about their daughters. And it's, it's just this, you know, an attitude of gratitude is one of our hallmarks and mm -hmm. it's just a, a great way to send a kid home. And now sometimes it's the first meeting back from Christmas. Sometimes it's like the week before we start postseason play because we might need a little pick me up. Sure. Um, I mean, it can be any time. And um, it just there's and there's something about dad and daughter in softball because it's usually the dad that does all the talking mm -hmm. because he has played catch with her since she was five years old. You know, he sat on the bucket and caught all her pitches and it, it you know, and usually there's not a dry eye in the place. So um, it's a great way to involve a parent. And then, you know, when the spring, when the first time we see them at, at the ballpark or at a game, you know, I go over and I give them a big hug and say, I can't, that was just awesome. What you said about your daughter, you were great. So then it, it fills their bucket too. No, I just, wow. It's, I, I can only imagine just the getting number one, getting to hear your, you know, your mother or dad getting to talk about all the different things that they've noticed on you and, and, gotten to see from you for the past 20 or I guess probably 15, 18 years of you playing. And, and man, I just, that is so, so powerful. And there's another thing that, that you mentioned that you really like within your program and that's affirmations. And I mentioned to you that, that, that that's something that I, I actually am, it's on my new year's to do list of things that I want to start to add. And I've started to do that every morning because there's so much research that goes into just positive self-talk and uh, just affirming what you want and, and being able to, to really speak into life what you want to happen. I would love to hear your thoughts on how you do that as a program. Well, uh, affirmations are huge and it's a big part of our culture and the program. And, you know, people ask me, you know, what's the difference between a, a affirmation and a compliment? And kind of the way I describe it is a compliment is like, shaking somebody's hand or giving them a high five. 
and when you affirm the behavior that you love in someone, that's like getting a hug from your grandpa or your grandma. That's the biggest difference. And affirmation is very specific. It can be life-changing. Um, a compliment is, you know, saying somebody that you like your, you like their jacket or you like your tennis shoes or you got a nice haircut. It's, it's like skin deep. But an affirmation really, really goes a lot deeper. And so we, we teach our players how to do it. And then, you know, when you, when you truly affirm the behavior of a teammate, they remember that. So we start with a little activity called positive to the right. And it's early in the fall and we get in a circle. It's usually after practice. Um, and I'll say, okay, you're going to turn to the person to your right and you're going to affirm a behavior that you really enjoy or liked about her either today at practice or what you've learned since we started. Okay. And the only thing that the other person can do when they get the affirmation is two words. And they look the other person in the eye and they say those two magic words, which is thank you. Because I don't know what it is about, you know, college young ladies. It's very, it's, sometimes it's very, very hard for them to hear that. And then, but the correct thing is just to say, thank you. And they look the person in the eye. So you turn to the person to the right and you tell them exactly the behavior that you want to affirm. It's very specific. Um, and then they get the thank you. And then they turn to the person to the right and we go around the circle. It takes maybe six minutes. So everybody feels really good. It's a great way to end a practice. So at one of the dinners that we have, it's the sophomore dinner, we play an activity called I Got Your Back. And for a baseball program, I could see maybe doing it in positions like pitcher, catchers, infield, outfielders. So for us, it's the sophomore class. And usually there's five or six young ladies. There's four coaches, the athletic trainer. So there's usually 10 people. So what okay. you do is you have a blank piece of paper and on uh, you tape it to the back of each person in the room. So there's 10 people. And on the top of it, it just says, I got your back. So you go around the room and you write on the sheet of paper an affirmation about that person. And then when everybody's done, you take the piece of paper off and there's nine positive affirmations. And we just go around the room and you read it out loud, which is sometimes difficult too. And then you try to guess who wrote that down. And then you look them in the eye and you say, thank you. Wow, that's great. And then as the team is going along, there's another thing that you can do. And you call it, you take the good with the bad. So we only do this with teams that really, really um, appreciate each other, that they absolutely know that everybody has everybody's self, best interest at heart. And it's a more mature team. So take the good with the bad is you look to the person to the right and you give them a positive affirmation. Then you turn to the person to your left and you tell them something maybe they could work on. Okay. So the really cool part of all that is the person that you turned to the left and said, you know, Jonathan, I, th I think you could go harder in practice. I don't think you give it your, your all. And we need you to win a championship this year. We got to give a hundred percent. And I really, I really don't, I don't think you've given us a hundred percent. So I think you have more to give. Well, the cool part of that is now, Jonathan, you have to tell me something positive because I'm on your right. So instead of thinking, man, that jerk, I can't believe he just said that about me. 
You got to turn it right. around real quick yeah, and then say something positive to me. And, you know, the year we won the national championship, we were, in, we were in the fall, we were in this circle and we were doing that. We had six seniors that year that were just terrific. And there was our catcher, I think, um, I'm not going to say a name, but it was our catcher. And she looked to her person to her left and, she kind of said that same thing as, you know, for us to accomplish our goals, we got to get more out of you because I don't think you're giving us everything. And the cool part of that is the young lady looked her right in the eye and said, thank you. And she turned it around right then and there. And I know damn well that we won the national championship because of that. Wow. And it didn't, it didn't become this drama thing. The, the kid took it. She knew that the other kid had her best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. She accepted it and then she worked on it. And it was, it was still to this day, one of the, the, the my most proudest moments of a, of a kid, two kids, really the kid that had the guts to say it. And then the kid that listened to it, accepted it and worked on it. But, you know, a- affirmations are just, it's a huge part of our program. And um, I think it can take a team a long, long ways. Oh, definitely. And I'm, I'm just sitting over here thinking about how powerful that is. And <laughs> wow, I just, it's unbelievable. Uh, another thing that, that I wrote down, which goes right in line with that is, I, I don't know if you still do this or if it's something that maybe, I don't, maybe you did one time or, or you consistently do, but I wrote this down and you said, you ask the players, have you ever had to hold a teammate accountable and to tell you about it? Does, is that ring a bell or am I way off no, on that? Those, that's, um, we have about 20 to 25 questions that we ask recruits. And so when they come for a visit, it's their mom and dad and them, and the other girls call it the hot seat because they've been in it. But before, you know, we, we offer a kid, we, we ask all these questions. And one of the questions is, you know, have you ever, you know, accountability is huge. And it's one of the most difficult things for kids. Um, I think this generation to do with anybody. And I don't care what sport it, it's, it could be football. It could be baseball. It could be mm-hmm. girl softball. It doesn't matter. It's just a difficult thing for a young person to do is to hold somebody accountable because they're worried about what the other kid is going to think of them. And what we, we, we say it in our program is leaders are like Eagles. You only usually see one at a time. You don't mm-hmm. see a flock of Eagles on a cliff. You only see one. And on a team, you really only need one really good leader. And if that person holds everybody else accountable, the sky's the limit. And when we won the SEC two years ago, um, from start to finish, we led. It was one of the best teams I've ever had. We had two kids that were not afraid to hold people accountable. And it was, it's just the biggest difference. And, you know, I've, I've talked to, um, some football coaches here and that's one of their big things is if if they have that they're going to have a good year Mm -hmm. and i think this year coach saban had three or four like that that just you know you got to have that accountability but i ask a recruit that and you know sometimes i get really good answers and sometimes not and you can tell like you know like you know i'll say okay you're in the weight room and you're next to the person and the strength coach says okay 10 push-ups and the girl does eight and you do 10, do you say anything? It's, it's just, I want to see what they say because, and 
one of the things, um, and I'm probably going to, you might ask this, but um, something I've changed my mind about is, you know, I used to say that everyone can be a leader and that's not true and it's not necessary. And I think what, what you really need is one really good leader, but you also need a bunch of really good followers yep. to follow that leader. And when that happens, it's going to be a great team and a really good video to watch with your team. Um, it's on YouTube. It's called Leadership Lessons from the Dancing Man. And it explains, yes, you need a leader, but almost even more important is you need a really, really good follower to start that. And then you, then it's the magic happens. No, it's, I'm, I'm sitting over here laughing because about a month, well, whenever we decided to sit down and, and do this, I was going through my notes and I'm driving in the car. Macy and I are, we're, we're driving, I think home to, to our parents' house. And I remember putting that one down. And then there was another one about parents that, that I have down too. And I remember, <laughs> I remember showing her the video of the, of the dancing guy at the concert and she yeah. is just going, what is going on? And then slowly people started, you know, following in and then it's going, it just, yes, absolutely. I'm going to link that in the show notes and you guys all have to go watch that because that truly, I don't know where you come up with some of the different resources that you use, but they're fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, in our classroom, that's usually what we do every day before practice. I show a, a little short video, something on Twitter, something on YouTube, um, and now it's it's we haven't been able to do that, so we're, I'm missing that uh, greatly. Well, that's that's been another area that I think that a lot of coaches are are trying to get better at at doing. And and I think I, I I wrote it down like four or five years ago, and I'm sure you've done this for a long time too. But I remember Coach Corbin talking about it, and then I heard you talking about it, and I was like, man, if both of those guys are doing classroom stuff, then I probably better get get after it. And so can you walk us through, let's say that, you know, things are normal. What does that look like for you? And I, there's just a lot of coaches that are out there that are like, man, that's valuable time. And I know Sheets has talked a lot about how valuable it is to actually go into the classroom. But there's a lot of coaches that are, that are just saying, hey, we've got two and a half hours. I don't want to spend it in a classroom going over something. One, what is the importance of it? And then two, how do we how do we get a lot out of it? And, and what have you learned as far as, Hey, this is a good time to do it, or at least a, a good, a good time to, uh, to cut it off. Like how long do you do it? And then what are some different things that you go over to get the most out of it? It varies every day. It could be sometimes it's five, it's five minutes. Uh, sometimes it's 20 minutes. Sometimes it's 30. Um, and it's usually a life lesson that I, we try to teach. Uh, something that maybe happened with the team, something that's happening, current events. Uh, it just, it could be random. Um, and some days there's a video. Some days I show maybe a, a little uh, a clip on from Twitter, mm -hmm. uh, the evening news. Um, you know, one of the best resources I, I, I have is Steve Hartman from CBS News, who does a great uh, Friday night piece um, that's just, almost every single week is just tremendous. And it's, it's three minutes. And I think, uh, you know, Corbs is the gold standard of baseball in college baseball. And, you know, if, if he can take 10, 15, 30 minutes out of practice and build better men that become better teammates, and if they have better teammates, they're going to have a better team. 
you know, I think that's, that's what you want. And I, I've had alums that have emailed, text, called me and say, are you still showing those videos before practice? Cause mm-hmm. I think you always should do that because they that's look, awesome. they look forward to it. And really, Jonathan, when you're 40 years old, I don't think anybody's going to give a shit if you could hit a curveball to le- to right field or left field or whatever. But they're going to, mm-hmm. you know, just little things that we t- we talk about, you know, gratitude, uh, how to write a proper thank you note, um, eight steps to a professional handshake. You know, mm-hmm. that's one of the first things we teach. Um, just just things like that that um, they're going to use every single day of their life after softball's over. Sure. No, I really like that idea. And I actually had eight, eight steps to a handshake right here. And I had to look that up because I didn't know I, you know, I, I didn't know the proper uh, handshake rituals. And I think, you know, I, I did most of them, but there was a couple that I was like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. And so for our guests who may be listening to you for the first time, I know that you're a learner. And I think I see you at just about every coaches convention that I've ever been to, which means you've probably gone to even more than that. And uh, before we get to the quick hitters, I do want to ask you with practice design, you've gotten to plan a lot of practices over your over your tenure. What have you felt that you guys do really well or just like three tips to proper practice design? And, and this could be something that you've learned lately, something that you've inputted, different drill sets or just anything that comes to mind. But what are just a couple of things that for those coaches who are really getting into practice design now, maybe be the maybe are the head coaches for the first time or want to add something, what can you, what can you give them to take away from you? Well, I, I think everybody's going to realize that you need to be organized. Um, and you know, we have it down to the minute and sometimes it doesn't actually go that way, but I do a practice plan early in the morning. We have a coaches meeting at 10. We come in and we talk about it. We ask if, you know, what would you like to see more of what you see less of? I try to involve the team as well. Uh, Cause I think that's connection. If they like something, um, if they don't like something at the end of the year, I say, what did you like? What did you didn't like? What would you like to see more of? So every player has a, a voice. Uh, I think it should be energetic. I think it should be quick. Uh, I hate standing around um, in any practice. I don't think it looks good when, you know, when you're done with a, a drill or whatever, and the three coaches get together and talk some more. I think that was the reason why you had the 10 a.m. staff meeting. So everybody knew what was going on because I also think it looks disorganized when the players see it. Um, So it should be energetic. Um, I don't want any Debbie the Downers on the field. You know, we always say that softball should be your stress release, not your stress or it shouldn't be a stress to play. So I think if you come to practice, I would want you to be um, smiling, you know, laughing, I want the the fan to have fun as well. And that's probably the biggest reason why people come to watch us is they, they say it looks like the team is having fun mm-hmm. when they're playing. Because after all, that's that's kind of what you want, right? So mm-hmm. when you hit a home run and you run around the bases, I want you to have a big old smile on your face because the crowd then is going to smile with you. And why would you pay money to watch kids that are not having fun? So, and then I think... Right now with us, the biggest thing is intentional. Every rep matters because we have 21 days before we play of practice. Mm -hmm. So we have three weeks. So whether it's a swing, a ground ball, a throw, whatever, a pitch in the bullpen, it should every single rep matters. And it should look like it's going to be the last one that you take as an athlete. And we've had guests come in to to watch all the time. And 
I can remember one guy said, man, he was watching Hayden McClenney, who's a four-time All-American, and she's on the Olympic team right now. She's going to play center field for Team USA. And that's that was his biggest thing. He's like, I couldn't believe every swing that she took. It looked like it was going to be her last one. Hmm. And, of course, that's affirming the behavior that I mm-hmm. wanted. So, of course, I go right to Haley and I say, you're not going to believe what this guy just said. So, of course, she's like, hell yeah, you know, it's not just Murphy that says it. <laughs> you know, this guy who I don't even know said, wow, look how intentional she is with her swing. Mm. So I, that's a big thing for us right now. No, I love that. That's that's fantastic. And so speaking of, learn, well, number one, let me let me hit on the attendance. You guys have been the, the attendance leader for 14 years running. And so I've, I've talked to to. Uh, Tyler Gillum about this because they do the bananas in the summer. And I'm like, man, how much fun is it to have a packed stadium when we can and to have lots of fans there? And what do you guys do? And so he, we could do like an entire month series over the things that the bananas do, which I think is fantastic. But he gave you, gave me some different things that it's like, how do we get them involved? How do we make sure they're appreciated? And so I I really like that, but because you want people to, to, to continue to come back. And so just besides them having fun on the field, is there anything that, and, and, you know, obviously putting out a good product is really, really helpful, but is there anything that you guys do or, or that you, that you have been told that you guys do uh, that, that really helps fans to continue to come back and, and support you guys every year? Cause that's, that's no small feat. 14 years running. That's, that's a, that's an awesome thing to say. And last year we sold over 3000 season tickets to softball. Wow. That's and- crazy our capacity is 3940. So the first couple of weekends, our average attendance was 3,700 because, you know, we had 600 people walk up at the gate. So it's, our fans are like, they're just unbelievable. You know, we've, we've sold out our bowl behind home plate for probably the last 20 years. Um, our booster club, we have the largest booster club in college softball. It's about 400 members. Mm. Um, but one thing we do is we have uh, a thank you night. And all the players come in to, up to our offices. We have five phones and they call everybody that bought a season ticket. And it's usually around February 1st before the team, before we start to play. And they just, they call everybody. We make sure we leave a message if we don't get them. So they absolutely love that. And, you yeah. know, I saw a guy at the gym the other day and they've had a message for three years on their answer machine from one of our players. Okay. So they don't erase it. And then another big thing we do is we hand deliver season ticket packages to about 100 uh, families uh, in the Tuscaloosa area. Our uh, ticket person, uh, she picks out local uh, season ticket holders. And then the players go in groups of two. It's usually a Sunday after practice, so it's usually about 5 o'clock. And they go go to their homes, knock on the door, and they literally have the uh, usually the media guide and uh, their season tickets. And I do it too. And you know, there's a thousand people on the waiting list to buy season tickets in the bowl. So, yeah, and they don't want to buy one. They usually want to buy two or four. So we really could say 4,000, you know, people waiting to buy a season ticket. But I remember one year I went and um, uh, I knocked on the door. I rang the doorbell and all of a sudden I see this, you know, it was a lady. She was peeking right between her shutters on the door. And um, she said, who is it? And I said, it's Coach Murphy. And immediately she, she said back, she said, no, it isn't. 
<laughs> and I was like, I, and I looked at so the name on it and I said her name and I said, I know you. And I took my hat off and like five seconds later, the door just swings open. She's in a robe and she screams and she'd been on the waiting list for five years waiting for tickets. Wow. And um, yeah, of course she, she invited me in to, to, to get a drink and eat. And I was like, no, I got like five other people I got to deliver to, but um it was just a, a cool reaction. And I know the girls get that too. And once they've gotten that hand delivered season ticket, they're in, they're in for good. And our retention rate is second among all sports um, behind football. So our That's people, great. yeah, they don't. And, and they now know not to give them up because it's going to be like the green Bay Packers. They go to the end of the line and it'll be years before they get them back. I love that. That's, that's, that's an awesome story. And it just, uh, wow. Uh, but yeah, so again, I, I mentioned that you were a learner earlier and so I'm, I'm really excited, uh, to, to get some quick hitters with you here, but wow, that's, a, that's, I love, I love hearing those stories. Those are great. Uh, but what's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited? Well, I kind of learned it from one of your, your former guests. And I think it was in December. It was Andy Bass from the pirates. Oh, nice. What a rock star. Absolutely love him. Uh, and I emailed him afterwards. And um, it's external versus internal focus. And it's just I'm just kind of starting to learn a little bit. But he sent me some really good resources. And um, it's something that I'm really going to look into because you can tell the difference in practice. And it's basically how you speak to the athlete in terms of um, an external result. Uh, like say a kid that's hitting in the cage and instead of telling her all her, you know, elbow, you know, torso, whatever hands, um, we have like a speaker that hangs behind our cage and it's on the wall. And so the other day I said, Hey, I want you to hit the ball and I want you to hit it through that speaker that's hanging, which obviously she can't because there's a net, mm -hmm. but she roped it three times in a row. And if, it, if there hadn't been a cage, she would have hit that speaker. Um, but it just, it, and studies have shown that, um, it helps the athletes, um, if you go in an external versus internal. Oh, definitely. I love that. And, and definitely want to give Andy some credit because he's, he is great and, and he's awesome about sharing. And, and so for, for any of us that are listening to this one and they haven't listened to that one, I encourage you to go do that for sure. On, on the same note, what's a drill that your players love? It could be a team drill or an individual thing that they really, really like. And I know you've basically opened up the doors and shared everything uh, that we've asked today. And I so, so appreciate that because I've gotten so many extra notes uh, on top of the ones that I already had. But what's something that we can steal from you and put into practice tomorrow? So this is a team activity and it's called, we call it survive in advance. And it involves everybody on the squad. So pitchers are included and that this, this is kind of why they loved it because pitchers are kind of excluded from like fun stuff, I think, because they're always in the bullpen. So everybody, uh, it was a, we did it the entire practice. And so we said at the very beginning of practice that, you know, there's going to be, um, you're going to accomplish these tasks and there's going to be constraints, time, whatever, but there also is going to be a consequence at the end if we don't get it done. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of excited. It was kind of this mystery, but we involved, we involved everybody on the team and any coach that's listening can do this any way they want. But 
So the first couple of them, we had uh, 20, I believe. And again, I'd send this out to anybody that wants it. But um, the first thing was the infielders had to field a clean ground ball and throw it to first. And the first baseman had to catch it. And they had to do two each under, I think, two minutes. So it had to be clean. And then if they didn't, there was a consequence. And uh, uh, one of our managers had a stopwatch and he would yell at the clock, the countdown, you know, with 20 seconds left. And all the other team is on the sideline and their only job was to provide positive energy. Well, the pitchers absolutely loved it because they were now with everybody. And so they were the loudest. And so they did it. They accomplished it. And then it was the outfielders and they had to field the ground ball and throw a shot to center field or to home plate. And they hit, had to hit a bucket and they had to do it so many times in so many seconds. And then we involved the pitchers and the entire team then, then jogged over to the uh, bullpen. And it felt really good because I don't think a lot of the players really had ever been in the bullpen. And the first thing the pitchers had to do was they had to throw a strike with whatever pitch they wanted to. And they had to do it within, I think it was two minutes. And there was one kid that got into her seventh and there was like 10 seconds left. And I can remember the catcher threw it back to her. And I heard that I, now I'm hearing the manager in my mind, you know, and he was like, nine, eight. <laughs> and, and it was, I think it was like 50 burpees was the consequence. Oh my but God. I, yeah. I didn't tell him beforehand because I didn't want him to, you know, like, oh my God, we don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And with like a second left, the ball hit the catcher's glove and it was a strike and we're done. So it was just like this big celebration and, and then we went from around, 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 and all the the position players had to do something. But then about on the 10th thing, now it became, it, it, it would be uh, pick four players on the team that had to go around the bases in less than so many seconds. Mm. So after about the 10th, they chose the people that they felt could do the job. So then it became like almost a team bonding thing. And then you saw some leadership because what I wanted them to, you know, to say is, Jonathan, he can run. He's fast. Put him in there. And then that you felt good because they picked you. And it just went like that for about 10. And then there was a couple that were situational things where they had to become a coach and they had to think about strategy and they had so much time and they had to figure it out and, Lo and behold, they got both of them right. I was really proud, Coach, because we were on the same wavelength. But awesome. after, yeah, after that practice, I probably had the most positive feedback that I've ever gotten, and it was it was we, it was basically the entire practice. It only lasted about an hour and a half, so um, it was just a fun, a lot of energy. Um, and then there was that that anxiety of like, oh, I got to get this done because there's so much time, and mm-hmm. it added to the pressure. Well, that was really, really good. Last one, uh, and then then we'll we'll start to wrap it up. But, uh, and this again, this one could take a while too because I know that you're a learner. What is one book that you would buy for every listener if you could, or just one that you've liked lately? I would buy The Choice by Edith Eager, and I don't know if you've read it. I think I've recommended it one time to you, but mm-hmm. it's about a, a young lady and her twin uh, who were 14 years old that were. Um, marched to Auschwitz and they both survived and Edith became a world-class therapist. And it's a true story of survival, renewal, faith, 
um, it's just one of the, it's a book that's really, really, really um, made a difference in my life. And I recommend it to almost everybody. Uh, I've given it to a couple of players. It's just a really good book and it has nothing to do with baseball. I love it. I actually have it on my bookshelf. I'm, I'm ashamed to say I haven't read it yet, but I promise you that I'm going to, I'm going to start it this week. So we'll have to, we'll have to exchange notes. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but Murph, I, man, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. Every, t- every single time that we talk, I feel like I'm learning something and, and I'm growing as a coach and a person. And, and so I just, I want to reiterate and be the first to tell you, thank you for all that you've done for the show, all you do for the game of softball and, and just, you know, being a rock star in your space. But I do want to give you the opportunity to talk to our guests and, or our, our guests, our listeners, uh, and just kind of let the, leave, let you leave them with uh, with whatever note that you want. So I'm going to mute myself. But uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you go? I just say uh, thanks to you again. But probably it's a social media. Um, you know, truly think before you post anything negative on social media. And you know, think ten years from now when you're you're interviewing for a job with a major league baseball team, would that club approve of, of a post that you put on? And I know sometimes people get aggravating and, you know, you want to put something back, but just let's, tr- let's try to make this year the year of positivity uh, on social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. And again, if I can help anyone out there with anything, just ask. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Jonathan probably has my email, but I'd be glad to help anybody. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.